0: Have your Bibles. You can turn to Psalm 42. We are in the middle, or actually, the beginning of this series slash small group series that we're doing called "Emotionally Healthy Spirituality." And it's one of those things that we recognize that that as as the church and it's something that God's been stirring in me for several years now is that that we are a church that has a lot of knowledge of Jesus, but we're really, really bad Christians. Because really good Christians look and sound a lot like Jesus, like they love being inside the four walls and they get excited about leaving the four walls to go be with people. Jesus says, I didn't come for the healthy. They don't need doctors. It's the sick that I've come for. And the sick don't just come to the hospital. you got to go to them, right? And so he said, I came to do that. And we recognize, man, that that we have a lot of work to do and that, that we have a lot of knowledge about Jesus. But so many of us have so many barriers and walls up in our life. That literally hinder us and keep us from being these loving agents of the church, loving agents of Jesus. People have just been sent by God to love others. We have all these obstacles, all these barriers and all these things are in our personal life. And so what, we, what we're saying is this, we're going to dive into this, this this morning, that what has to happen in our lives is we have to be people who intentionally slow down as a primary part of our life to slow down to be with the Father. Like intentionally slow down to be with Jesus and to hear from hear from him, to engage him and to be in relationship with him and be changed by his love for us. So that's the first part, right? We have to be those who engage the father, who look up to him, this contemplative life, slowing down to be with Jesus. And the second part of that is this emotional health that we have to be people who. Who. Recognize the barriers slash growth areas in our emotional life that keep us from loving others well. So I don't know if you know or not, but human beings, honestly, so many of us are defined by issues, right? Like, do you know anybody who has issues do you know anybody who has growth areas in their life that if they would, quote unquote, get better at this part of their emotional life, they would be a lot more healthy. They would love a lot better and probably be better. Christians Can to get a show of hands. Do you like that? Yes. The rest of you raise your hand. You're the issue. I'm just kidding. So no, but in this idea is that. We look at our lives and emotional health is saying, we have a bunch of people who know a bunch of, listen, like if you've grown up in church, you know a bunch of Jesus stuff. I wonder if people think you look like and act like him. I wonder. And that's the emotional health piece. So what we're looking for is to be a people who are great at the contemplative, spending time with Jesus, and who are great at this horizontal piece of recognizing our growth areas, growing in them so we can love people better. We see a beautiful picture of this in the person of David. Like David, King David from the Old Testament. We know, it's been quoted, he is a man after God's own heart. And so we do, we're great, we're great pedestal makers, aren't we? As human beings, we let it put people on pedestals and go, oh, King David, forgetting that he literally saw a naked woman, he had her brought to him, he had sex with her, had a baby, and then said, oh, let me kill her husband. That sounds like a great idea. David had issues. So I look at David and I go, oh, I'm so thankful for him. He's a mentor of God's own heart with serious issues, right? And it gives me hope because I recognize it's not the idea of being perfect, but it's the idea of growing into who God's called me to be. Because what I love about David is that when Nathan the prophet came and said, God is against you because of what you've just done, and you're firstborn to be taken from you. What did David do? He went straight contemplative. He went in, sat cloth and ashes, and in weeping for days, repented before the Lord. And I learned as much from that as anything else about him, that he was an imperfect human being, but who knew how to contemplate and be with Jesus and to recognize his growth areas so that he could love people better. This is the picture we see in Psalm 42. It says this. You've heard, you've heard this before. Think about David, all right? Don't, don't cheat. Carl, don't look up there yet. <laughs> David was this psalmist. He was a musician, right? He loved to write. And then he had Asaph put his lyrics to to music. It was beautiful how he did this, right? And so he came and he wrote this. And what he's writing is his heart. He's writing this awareness of what's going on inside of him, right? He is very aware of his brokenness in the moment. You're going to see this. And he's coming before the Lord, slowing down to be with him. He writes this as a deer pants for slowing streams. So pants my soul for you oh god do you see the longing of his heart to slow down and to commune with the father he says literally my soul my mind my will and my emotions they thirst for god for the living god when oh tell me when i can come and appear before god my tears He's very aware of his emotions. My tears have been my food day and night, while they, my enemies, those who are oppressing me, those who are coming against me, they say to me all day long, where is your God? These things, and this is what he says. But you could put a but here, but these things I remember as I pour out my soul, right? So he's in this difficult moment. He's like, God, I just want to see you. I want to taste of you. I'm going to come and be with you. I want to experience you, God. And because uh, all of my people are coming against me. They're oppressing me. They're saying that you're not even real. They're saying you don't exist. They're saying that because you're not moving right now, God, you don't exist. He says, but this is what I'm going to remember as I pour out my soul. How I would go with the throng of people and I would lead them in procession to the house of God with glad shouts and songs of praise. Do you remember when he was dancing before the Ark of the Covenant? Literally in his whitey tidies, just completely unashamed, giving glory and honor to God in such a way that his own wife is like, oh, You made a fool of yourself. And he goes, I'll even make even more a fool of myself before my God. Complete adoration, right? He's remembering this. He says, why are you downcast, oh my soul? Like, just press pause and let that sink in. What is he doing here? Horizontal. He's very self-aware of what's keeping him from the Father. He's very self-aware of his inner struggles. He's very aware of this thing in his life saying why are you downcast why are you depressed why are you in turmoil he sees it it's the obstacle that's keeping him from loving god and loving neighbor he says he says, and he says to himself says to his mind his will and emotions hope in god for i shall again praise him he is my salvation and he is my god this Is a picture of healthy, emotional spirituality. David, a man through God's own heart, who is a human being just like you, who had his own massive failings and actually responsible for the murder of somebody, which puts him on a different plane than most of us, hopefully all of us, right? Over here, he's like, he's a human being, but here he is before God. And he's saying, I have this issue but I have communion with God and I will go to him and I'm aware, right? I'm just worshiping Him before him and I'm aware of my emotional health, my issues, my brokenness, right? And I will be aware of that and I will speak to it so it can be made whole so I can relate completely to God and to others again. So as we dive in, I want you to recognize the premise Kind of the idea that was circling as we as we dove into the study and when Peter Skazira wrote this book is this the beast, this is language that he used, it's a little funny, but I think you understand it. The beast of our cultural tide outside of us and our own sinfulness within is keeping us from experiencing deep ongoing transformation and growth in our relationship with jesus again you understand the beast of our culture and all the things of our culture are screaming at us from outside and we all we recognize our own sinfulness our own brokenness within us right and those things are keeping us from deep ongoing transformation which means this i said it before jesus didn't save you to go to heaven jesus saved you so he could completely transform you on earth to bring salvation to others. Oh, and you spend eternity with him in heaven. He saves you for today and tomorrow. So that you can lead others to Jesus. So you can build brew pubs where people who don't know Jesus will come to. And you're not afraid of anything except worshiping God and sharing the love of Christ. People who don't know him. Right. This idea of like coming and saying, Jesus, I don't want any obstacles. So we come against all these things, but God wants to transform us and grow us in relationship with him and with others. This is the next slide, a life lived listening to the beast of our culture and our own sinfulness. This is what leads us to emotionally unhealthy spirituality. Like you understand, when I say the beast of culture, I probably wouldn't have used that language, but he did, so I wanted to connect it to the book. But think about all the ideas that scream at you every day. And what you watch on television. I'm not anti-TV, but you know I'm getting out all the messages every day that you hear in movies. These these ads that portray an ideal of what life is supposed to look like. How many of you go on social media and you spend your entire day looking at social media, comparing your life to the perfect life that somebody else has? Here you are stuck here during fall break, and they're in Bora Bora. <laughs> And your life sucks. That's what you're thinking. And you feel this negativity, all these things that are confronting you. Every day you're confronted and you listen and you watch and you see things. And whether you want them to affect you or not, they do, don't they? All of these things impact us. Every day we're confronted with messages such as this. Happiness is found in having things. Do you have friends that go shopping and they make them feel better at the end of the day? Happiness is found in having things. You should get all you can for yourself as quickly as possible. And crush people on Black Friday to make sure you get it. Idea, we of the idea. We seek pleasure, convenience, and comfort for ourselves and view it as a personal right. Or we, hear the, we hear this lie, there are no moral absolutes. Whatever is true for you, that's the only thing that's true. Or this idea of living on an island that you are not responsible for anyone but yourself. Or we come to face-to-face with ideas of self-hatred from our culture, from outside of us or inside of us. Do you know anybody who thinks they're too fat? Who told them that? He wasn't your husband, ladies. He was. He's an idiot. <laughs> Do people think? Some people are like, man, my skin is too wrinkly. Idea of you're not smart enough. Your parenting stinks, right? You aren't successful enough. You aren't likable, let alone lovable. You believe these lies every day. We're fed them. We're fed them. We're fed them, right? And they shape us, and we live we live lives of half-hearted lives, nowhere near God's promise of the abundant life or the fullness of life that He's promised us. And so we live again, this brute, this beast of culture, these ideas of self-hatred, all this language that we hear. And how does it make us feel? It condemns us. It makes us feel less than. It makes us feel unloved. It makes us feel separated. It makes us feel isolated. It makes us feel alone. We live in this every day. Do you know anybody who's... Living an emotionally unhealthy spiritual life. Do you know anybody? It's helpful in the context of our study to be able to kind of pinpoint someone that you recognize again not for judgment's sake as I'm like oh yeah they're terrible no just for the sake of your understanding it's always helpful to have a case study someone that you're looking at looking at someone that you're thinking about in the context of the study of someone who's emotionally unhealthy and their spiritual life because you begin to get a kind of put a grid to 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 apply it like when I was in seminary the greatest thing I ever did in seminary was being full-time campus ministry doing college ministry Why? because I could learn something and immediately apply it It was so helpful. And so at least this morning, can you think of someone who has an unhealthy, emotional, spiritual life? Preferably, can you think of anything in your life that's emotionally unhealthy in your spiritual life? Chapter four of our book is self-awareness. Are you aware, right? Putting your finger like David's. Why are you downcast, O soul? self aware is there any things that you're anything you're aware of in your own life here's a list of things that describe emotionally healthy people we're going to go one by one by one so don't cheat and look ahead okay this is in your book emotionally healthy people number 1 name recognize and manage their feelings emotionally healthy people are able to recognize what they're feeling they can name it, they can recognize it, and then they're able to manage it, they're able to process it, they're able to work themselves through it, whereas emotionally unhealthy people, they can't name, recognize, or manage their feelings. So when something happens, what happens? They go, blah, and they have it going to freak out. And they can't manage it. They're like, what's wrong? I don't know. Ah, right? Do you know anybody like that? Emotionally, un- Number two, emotionally healthy people identify with and have active compassion for others so these people something happens and they immediately have compassion for others they they look they look for ways to 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 show compassion, to give of the best of their time and their energy and their resources, to give the best of themselves, to walk the extra mile, to to come alongside of them and to to love them to the point it's sacrificial. And they and they look for ways to do this to show compassion, versus the emotionally unhealthy person, who the whole world revolves around them. You're like, oh, my gosh, I'm just really having a bad day. Well, my day is worse. Okay, thanks, right? Living the idea that everything revolves around them. They're sitting there going, oh, my gosh, you see that train wreck over there in Spain? Sure, i glad that didn't happen to me, right? This idea of everything is in the grid about them and everything is all about them. Emotionally unhealthy. Emotionally healthy people, number three, initiate And maintain close and meaningful relationships. That isn't a huge one in our culture. They initiate, maintain close and meaningful relationships because we are relational beings. The Trinity... The Trinity is three in one. They are the expression of perfect union and relationship together. Three is one, right? And the idea is human beings, we've been created to to be in relationship. We initiate, maintain close and meaningful relationships. And so healthy people do this. They have a grid of... Great relationships, people that they're honest with, people that they cry with, people that they laugh with, people that they do life with, whereas people who are emotionally unhealthy, they go from person to person, never really diving deep in relationship, right? A lot of times they expect, they go in expecting to be offended, and when something happens, they get offended and they walk off. They isolate, they separate. Number four, emotionally healthy people. They break free from self-destructive patterns. Not rocket science on this one. A person who's caught in an addicted habit, it's hard to be emotionally healthy in that because it becomes the sole focus of their life. I'll never forget talking to a couple who both of them had extreme um, drug abuse for many years in the beginning part of their marriage. and And then one day that went away. And... And it was really funny. We sat down and said, oh my God, our marriage is struggling. And they sat down and they, and they walked through their struggles and I started laughing. This is really bad past, pastoring. I'm just telling you, right? I started laughing and I'm like, what are you laughing at? I'm like, you've so focused so long on your addiction that you never actually had, got to have a marriage. But now everything that you're naming, it's what we all go through. He's not always going to be nice. Sorry, Right. And we celebrated the fact that they had actually moved beyond addiction to an actual relationship and the tensions and the struggles that go with it. And we celebrated. Number five, emotionally healthy people can be honest about their feelings. If they're hurt and you ask Jay, what's going on? Jay would say, I'm not going to lie, you. that hurt when you said that. Dude, I'm so sorry, man. He's, aware of He's like, no, no, I get it. But I just want you to not hurt me when we say that. I don't, want, I don't want to be any brokenness in a relationship. And so we can be honest about our feelings. If we're hurt, we have to express it. If we're angry, we express it. If we're offended, we express it. If we're depressed, we express that and get help, right? But emotionally unhealthy people get hurt. And what do they do? They pull away. They get angry. They pull away. They get offended. They pull away. They get depressed. They isolate themselves. Number six. Emotionally healthy people can be honest and comfortable with their weaknesses. Like, do you know people that always have to have it together and always have to be the leader and always have to, to like the, like to have everything and be perfect and figure it out and not re- and not recognize there are human beings who have weaknesses? Like Jesus celebrates weaknesses. Says, "My strength is made perfect in your weakness." He loves weakness. But as human beings, we're told have it all together. Right. Have it all together. Be perfect. Be the best at everything. And so emotionally unhealthy people live in that lie of the culture versus coming and saying, oh, my gosh, I am so bad at that. Will you help me? Like if men and women, have you ever played golf with somebody who's never played before and they get to hole number two and they're already cussing up a storm and like throwing their golf clubs? Because they're just so angry because they're not great and perfect at it, right? They shouldn't be, but they live in this life. They have to be perfect they get to ah, and they just like, I hate this game. Versus going, hey, Scott Crawford, he's a great golfer. Bro, will you just sit me down and teach me how to swing a golf club and to keep my weight on the front and to keep my eyes here, right, all this stuff, and like literally sit down. But we have this expectation that we shouldn't be weak at anything. And Jesus says, actually, my I, I can only be strong in you if you are aware and celebrate your weaknesses. And seven things in your books is just emotionally healthy people distinguish and appropriately express their sexuality and their sensuality. On one end, do you have people who all they ever do is kind of make sexual jokes and everything is like a sex joke and sexual innu- innuendos because that's all they can focus on? Or just that's that's it, or over here, sexuality for them is they're so repressed they can't even celebrate that's a gift from God, like we in the church should celebrate the gift of sex as something that is beautiful in the in the place of marriage, like we should be the ones who are most free to talk about it, who understand it best, and who love it the most. we ever extreme over here at being unhealthy or over here where we're basically repressed. So where are we in that? So in the context of our study, we begin to be honest, right? All of this broken, like emotional, unhealthy spirituality because of our culture, because of lies, because of our own sinfulness. We need to be aware of that, right? We need to be aware of what's going on inside of us and be aware of this loving God, loving others, Right. But I want to say this morning what the remedy is. There is a remedy we need to know from the very beginning of our study that you could get to the end and already name it right now. The remedy for an emotionally unhealthy spirituality. The remedy is this, according to the book. The remedy for emotionally healthy spirituality is the intentional integration/slash marriage of the contemplative life and emotional health. The remedy for emotionally unhealthy spirituality, bowing down to our culture and being defined by, by our own sinfulness. The only way, the remedy for that is the intentional integration of the marriage, of the contemplative life and emotional health. I've already named it with David. We are, we, something happens and we immediately have this place of intentionally slowing down to go be with the father and learn from him. In solitude and in silence of listening, we have an emotional health that goes that we literally live from this place of of say, I'm aware of my brokenness. I'm aware of my brokenness and I want to remove everything that keeps me from loving others. Well, so think for a moment about two arrows, right? That cross like a plus sign. Here we go right here. Right. So if we were to think contemplative life, thanks for putting that on there. The contemplative life is right here. It's the up and down. It's the vertical part of our relationship with God. And so we're able to say as Christians, and we're probably most comfortable with this inside the church, aren't we? We're really comfortable talking about knowing Jesus, having a quiet time, having a devotion, like all this stuff, right? And I'm saying it's more than those things. It's literally a lifestyle that the primary thing, the priority of our daily life is slowing down in the midst of our business, in the midst of all that's going on to maintain this vertical relationship with God. Not where I sit there and listen to tell me what to do, but I sit there all day long being enamored by his beauty, Like Isaiah says, the presence of the Lord is like a pent-up flood being driven by the breath of God. You know what? The, the Bible is silent exactly what David was saying, so I'm just going to just throw out a hypothesis. I believe that when David went to be contemplative, vertical with God, and he was waiting in Psalm 42... He says, my soul pants for the living God, right? When he comes and he says, I believe he's waiting for this pent up flood of God's love and presence to overwhelm him. Because it goes on in Psalm 42 and it says, he says, says, deep cries out to deep as waves and breakers crash over me. So I think about the contemplative life. I'm not saying go have a really deep prayer time going through your prayer list. I'm saying go and know and be known by God. Like the contemplative, the up arrow, going, just saying, Jesus. I want to know that you love me. Sometimes, and you know, I'm, we've had moments where Randall's been having a hard day, or maybe she doesn't feel close to me in our in our marriage, and she'll look at me laying in bed. She's like, "Tell me why you love me." And I'm caught off guard because I'm not thinking about it, right? Because my because she's asked me because my mind is over here somewhere else, right? And she goes, "Tell me why you love me." I go. Ugh. And what am I forced to do? I'm, I'm forced to stop. Center myself, look at her, and tell her why I think that she's amazing. And I don't just sit there and say, hey, we have a great sex life, because that's lame. I don't sit there and say, you're a great mom, because that's kind of secondary. No, it's like, I can't function without her. God has given her the greatest gift in my life to, to not, not Jerry Maguire sense, but to complete my areas of, of incompleteness, right? You know what I'm getting at? That literally, right, that, that my heart comes alive. Like when we go on our 10-year anniversary and we're sitting on the island of St. John and I looked at her, I'm like, this is why I fell in love with you. I just enjoy you. Like, I don't want to be anywhere else. Screw all of y'all. I want her. My kids can visit. I want my wife. Father said to church in Song of Songs 3, You have made my heart beat faster, my sister, my bride. You've made my heart beat faster with one single glance of your eyes. I look at Andrew. It doesn't doesn't happen. He's like, why are you looking at me, right? But when I look at Father, he's like, oh, pent-up flood. I want to bring it contemplative life, right? Intentionally. This is the the definition. It's the vertical. Intentionally slowing down to be with Jesus. Intentionally slowing down to be with Jesus. Now let's go back to the the arrow part, the emotional health. The emotional health is the ability to be self-aware and love well. Okay? The ability to be self-aware and to love well. And so this is the vertical. Yeah, it's, the, yeah, it's, it. it's the horizontal right here. Actually, go ahead and put that other one up there. It's actually pretty cool if you could do that. I don't know if you can anyway. But the horizontal right here, right? I am aware, like David was, why are you so downcast on my soul? He's aware of this broken place, right? He's bringing it before the Lord. God, this has to change for me to be effective at loving you and loving others. Emotional health. You have issues from your past, broken places, lies that you have believed that literally are hindering you from being Jesus, able to, to love completely and to love fully. If you can't think of yourself, think of other people that you know their stories, you know their brokenness. Think about your parents. Think about your grandparents. It's like, listen, I'm, I've told you the story my dad. My dad, when I was 23, no, when I was 21 years old, my, my, his mom, my grandmother walked out and for the first time in his life told him, I love you. For the first time in front of everybody, which made it really awkward. My dad went like this, like help. What do I do with that? Right. And that was a, that was a, that was a baggage thing for him. It was something from his past that overwhelmed him. It was a broken place. He didn't know it existed. It was like, why so downcast? Why so broken? Oh, no one's, my parents haven't told me they've loved me in my entire life. That's an issue, right? That's a broken place. God that's helped me. That's kept me from loving others fully, horizontal. Are you picking up that all I'm naming is the great commandment of loving God and loving your neighbor? You do not picked up on that at all. It's deeper than we've made it to be. The horizontal of loving our neighbors is we're not emotionally healthy enough to actually love people, let alone love our spouse as well. We have to integrate as intentionally. That's the point of the study. Intentionally, we're integrating a life of slowing down up, 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 slowing down as a lifestyle to receive the flood of God's love for me because when I know I am loved it changes everything when she knows laying in bed why I love her it takes and melts stuff have you ever experienced that the result this is now on the screen just listen the result of integrating and marrying these two number 1 we are awakened To God's love. And we are then surrendered to God's love in every situation of life. When all hell is breaking loose. And Winston Churchill says, if you're going through hell, just keep going. When you are going through hell. And you know that you're loved. It empowers you to keep on going. Second thing it does. As we we integrate these two. We commune with God in all things at all times. I'm at work communing with God and all of my neighbors around me like I hate this job I hate my boss I hate my chair I hate the fluorescent lights I hate the traffic getting here and going home don't you you're like I don't love those but I'm doing great because I commune with God don't get hyper spiritual and if you commune with God too you heathen right don't do that right (laughs) third thing that happens integrating the two we rest well in god's presence in the busiest moments of the day i want you to hear that one again as i integrate the two i am able to rest as a lifestyle in the busyness and the most hectic pace of my life and my thoughts Do you even believe that? Because I don't know anyone in our culture who is awesome at this. And let me tell you something. If we became awesome at this. Then it would empower us to love people, and they want—they would want that. Do you know why? Because every single person in our area, our community—this is the great idol of our culture—is where we, we put—we make clear an idol of busyness. And if we could learn how to rest in the midst of our activity, so that we are at peace, people would want what we have. The fourth thing that happens as we integrate—well, we love others well. Why? Because we are so confident in God's love for us. Let me tell you something. People who don't love well have never been loved well. It's a real simple type equation. People who don't love well have never been and received love well. I mean, literally, I'm sitting in India 10 years ago, and I'm like, God, what is this? And he put his finger, right? Self-awareness. He said, Steve, you hate yourself. And I, like a damn broken side of me, I'm like, oh, you're so right. I hate who I am. Self-hatred. He said, Steve, and he said to me, clear as day. You're not able to show grace or show love well because you've never received grace or, or received love well from me. I said, you're right. That's why I'm really a terrible pastor. Terrible. I am awful. You know what he did? He changed me. I can say confident because of God's grace. I don't, I'm not a terrible pastor anymore. That's not me building myself up. I'm not terrible at it. You know why? Because God did it work. You're like, I can't believe he said that. I mean, Moses said, Mo, Moses said that himself. I was the most humble man alive, Right. I'm saying I'm not terrible today. Do I have growth areas? Absolutely. But I'm not terrible anymore. Do you know why? Because God poured out love and grace. And now if I were, well, I can, I can only give away what I've received. Have you received love and grace so well that you have it to give away? So let me go through these three things just real quick. Let's say as quick as I can. Outgrowths. So outgrossed in our life of what happens when we truly begin to live our lives, marrying these two, marrying these two arrows, contemplative and emotional health. Number one, we're able to slow down. There's nothing wrong with being active. But when our activity keeps us from reflection, from knowing God and knowing people, it becomes detrimental. We know Saul. This is interesting. Saul in 1 Samuel 14 Verse 35 says this. Saul built an altar to the Lord. It was the first altar that he ever built to the Lord. Why is this important? This speaks volumes about Saul's life. We looked at him last week as the main part of our study. Because the altar is what you would build when you want to slow down, stop, stop. Worship God and thank him for what he just did. The Israelites walk across the Jordan River. They get to the other side. They walk back into the river. They take 12 stones. They build an altar before God and thank him for what he had just done. What were they stopping to do to worship? What was their destination? The promised land that they had been traipsing to the desert for for a long, long time. And they said, that can wait. We want to stop Rest and worship. And Saul is saying, This is the first one ever built. Which means that in his life, he did not stop, he did not rest, and he did not stop to worship God. We have to be people who are slowing down. David portrayed this, right? One thing I've asked of the Lord. In the midst of being a king over a nation, one thing I've asked of the Lord I will seek, I will dwell in his house forever. I will dwell there. I want to gaze upon his beauty and inquire and meditate in his temple. The active life is on the screen. The active life in the world for God can only properly flow from a life with God. As we intentionally slow down to be with God and to highlight our brokenness, we can grow in our emotional health. It causes us to slow down and to know him. The second thing is we become anchored in God's love. We become anchored in God's love. Slowing down. Awakens us to God's love. In Psalm 62, verse 2, David says, He, talking about God, He alone is my rock and my salvation, my fortress. I will not be shaken. That's great. He has this revelation, this epiphany, right? But verse 11 says, Once God has spoken to me, twice I have heard this. What have I heard? That power belongs to God, and that to you, O Lord, belongs steadfast love. What's David saying? I went to commune with God, and when I got there, he said to me, My power, my power is mine, and my love is steadfast for you. He had this breakthrough moment in communing with God where God said, I am all-powerful, everything else melts away, and my love for you is steadfast and never-ending, so you have it. So David says, he alone is my rock and my salvation, my fortress, and I will not be shaken. He stopped. He listened, right? He took time to be with the Father. Our greatest energies in life should be the pursuit of knowing how long, how wide, and how deep is the love of Jesus for me. And the last thing that this happens when we do this and live upward and horizontally is we break free from illusions. We break free from the lies of our culture. What is it in our lives that we believe, if they were present, we'd be satisfied? Like, what is it for you? What is it for you that you at least subconsciously believe it takes for you to be satisfied. Like growing up for me and being in you know, middle school, high school, I thought to myself, I need to have a girlfriend, I need to have lots of friends, I need to be really popular, right? I need to have a great car, I need to have good grades, whatever it may be. If I have those things, I'll be satisfied. As I got older, I thought if I have a good insurance plan, right? If I get a, if I have a good salary, if I have a good job, if I have healthy kids, if I have a really great marriage, right? All of these things, if I have those, I'll have satisfaction in life. And the idea is nothing, none of those things are necessarily a But what happens if that's not going on in our lives? And what we're getting at is we live contemplatively and horizontally here. What happens in this moment is I experience the gift of being content and being God's child. Do we have contentment in being God's child? Jason, you can lead worship again. Come up. We're going to go into a time of ministry this morning. And the great tragedy I want you to recognize in the life of Saul is that he was called by God. He was loved by God. And he stopped cultivating a relationship with him. David didn't. David's whole life was marked and defined by a contemplative life and personal awareness of broken areas in his life that God needed to heal to make him whole so he could love others. And my simple question for you all this morning is, do you have the contemplative life? And do you even know what the areas are that God's putting his finger on in you? Is it hard for you to think about someone other than this person over here? Are you aware of your broken places? Because the idea is that we're on a journey. Like I said before, God's not not most interested in the destination. He's most interested in the next step of your journey into wholeness. So, this morning, I invite you just to close your eyes as we come into worship. and I just want you to say, I just want you just to be before the Lord and say, Jesus, have your way with me this morning. Have your way with me this morning, Jesus. Begin to awaken me, God, to your love and your pursuit of me. Begin to awaken me, God, to these broken places. Ask Him to make you aware. Ask Him to make you aware of what your next step is. We have ministry teams that will be available on both sides, and they can go ahead and come. And if you want to come for anything you need prayer for, they'd love to pray for you. If you came prepared this morning to worship through your offering, here are the baskets. You come as the Lord leads, and you want to take communion this morning. Take communion to celebrate the work and the power of God in your life. I want to invite you to respond. What is God speaking? What is he putting his finger on? What's he awakening to in your life? And you respond as the Lord leads. This is our official ending of the service. We're just going to go into worship and let God move. As you're ready to go, feel free to go. Don't forget to sign up for all the things we need to sign up for. We love you guys. Have a great week.